time. Uh, wow. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Uh, the Lord truly tabernacles himself in the praises of his people. If we can just con always practice that in praising him and worshiping him. You know what the great thing about God, it's nice if you can sing, but even if you don't know how to sing. The Holy Spirit just fixes the notes as they're leaving your mouth and getting up to his ear. And it's harmonious because he's not really listening to your voice. He's listening to your heart. That's what he's listening to. Hallelujah. And even in our worst conditions and situations, the great thing about our Lord is that he always listens to us. He always hears us. He's always concerned about us and wants the best for us in our journey. Thank you for making it out today to our worship service. Uh, this is the last service of the month of October. Can you believe it? We're facing now two more months coming up. Um, and God has been with us. It seems like this year has been kind of busy and kind of filled with surprises just about every day. Uh, but we're standing. I know you're sitting, but I mean we're standing. Amen. Victorious in the Lord. You know, one thing we can declare today, a declaration that I make often from this pulpit I want to repeat today, one thing we can definitely declare today, that the devil tried, but he lost again. Amen. Tried, but he lost again. How many conquerors do we have here? Victorious people. I really feel a heavy burden from the Lord to share the sermon today. I, I've titled it, uh, God Always Wins. God Always Wins. And it really is a, a review of Acts chapter 9 um, and, and, uh, and what happens between two specific characters. And that's Saul of Tarsus and then Ananias. And I guess for you that want to be more technical, it really is three personalities. It's Saul of Tarsus, then he gets converted to the Apostle Paul, that's two, and then Ananias. But for the sake of this examination of this text, I, I want to just focus our, our attention on Saul of Tarsus, and then in a few moments look at Ananias, and I make a comparative, and then I want to wrap it up at the end to see how it applies to you today. And the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, the most prolific contributor to the New Testament, and certainly the one that helped shape Christianity uh, from the time he appeared on the, on the scene, right after his conversion, uh, was a, a difficult man. When he was Saul of Tarsus, he was a someone that was fastidiously dedicated to his religion to such a degree that he thought he had it all. He thought he had it all together. If you look at the apostle, uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a man that was a scholar beyond, I mean, he had no equals. He is considered, even when we look back now to church history, considered to be one of the brightest minds of his time, an incredible, incredible thinker. You talk about PhD, he was a PhD of PhDs. A highly solicited uh, academician, a highly solicited philosopher of his time. This man knew his religion. Didn't know Jesus, but knew his religion. Didn't know the saving grace of God, but certainly knew the legalisms involved in religiosity. And what happened to Paul, he was so dedicated to his teachings and his philosophy of life and his religion, and he thought of himself so lofty and high that anyone that came against what he believed, that person didn't need to be confronted by Saul, but needed to be killed by Saul. Mm -hmm. 
It's a big difference. See, when you, when you decide to come against someone in a way to hurt them, in a way to injure them, that is not God operating in your life. When through actions or words, decisions, whether consensus or you lead a discussion, for the detriment of another human being, you're not operating in the realm of God. You're ap- operating in the, in the world of darkness. And so Saul, because of his incredible ability to think, his incredible ability also, he, he had very low social skills, by the way, uh, by the way. So you probably would not invite him over for Thanksgiving because he didn't have those kinds of skills. But when you got down to start to talk to him about academic stuff, scientific stuff, the the context, religion, philosophy, he had no equal. But this is the problem. It wasn't the problem that he was a PhD of PhDs. It wasn't that he was the most solicited and requested speaker during that time, if you will. It wasn't that he had money, because he actually did have money, because in order to be able to, to publish and print all of those letters in the New Testament, you needed to have some financial source. He was not a poor man. Here's the problem. The problem, he thought that he was all that and a bag of chips. So it isn't what you know. It's the image that you have of yourself. And Paul had a very lofty image of who he was. In fact, so much so that he thought that he knew God's mind and God's purposes. So he didn't just come out of the gate. And you read it in in the book of Acts, you'll see it. And then later on, the passage here that we're picking it up on is when he has a confrontation with God and he has to change. And so Paul was given totally everything that he knew and, and was able to do. He was going to not just stop the church, not just destroy the church, but he wanted to kill Christians as well. Because of his social connections, because of his network of friends and partners, if you will, in his devious ways, he was able to influence, even as we open in this passage, he was even able to influence the authorities to give him letters and permission. And in this case, it was the high priest's permission to go persecute and go crazy over the church. That's how powerful he was, because Saul was powerful, but the enemy was wrapped up in there. So what happens is that even people that would think about questioning what he did, he was able to dazzle them through the powers of darkness and almost witchcraft to believe what he believed. And if you do it, if you read it to certain accounts in the, in the, in, in the early life of the church, he was being very effective. He was being successful. He was causing a dent in the progress and the movement of the gospel during that time. But I just want to remind you of something that we already know. You can mess around with him. You can mess around with her. You can mess around with them. You can mess around with countries. You can mess around with people from other boroughs. But don't mess around with God's church. The purposes of the agency of salvation for humanity will be accomplished whether you agree or disagree. And that's what happened to Paul. Now he's on his way. We open the text here because what we find here, we we look at the text and he's going into uh, now with murderous threats, it says in verse 1 of chapter 9. He's going in there still breathing out these murderous threats. He was coming against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. He asked for letters. He went to the synagogue. He was on his way to the synagogue of Damascus, a central city, then and even today. 
And he went there. He wanted to find out who of they, where are the people that belong to the way? Because the Christians weren't called Christians at that point. They were called the followers of the way, capital W, which means people following a different path. In fact, you have some Christian religious traditions today that even subscribe to that name still to this day. But he's going after the way. Many thought that early Christians was a sect of, of religious crazy people. And so Paul, uh, uh, Saul goes in breathing these uh, threats against them, goes to the synagogue, to the religious circle, uh, the religious epicenter of Damascus, and there he gets letters and he gets the approval to go and take them prisoner and then eventually to kill the Christians. But as he's nearing Damascus, it says in verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. That's funny. Big and mighty soul. Light? Knocked him to the ground? Deep and abstract thinker soul. All of a sudden, knocked to the ground. He was not used to being on the ground. And what happens is, when you think too highly of yourself, sometimes God takes you and takes you so close that you almost have to eat dirt. His head was too big. His ego was still hungry for more. He thought that he knew everything. So he can go and do and undo however he wanted. And it says that when he's on, his, on the road to his deviant path, to his deviant behavior, God knocks him off the horse with light <laughs> and a flash. Amazing. He fell to the ground. And then, he hears, see, here's what happened. He thought he was pursuing Christians. He thought that he was pursuing, pursuing the, the way, people of the way. He thought that he was just coming up another religion. It so happens in this declaration, once he's knocked to the ground, that he hears a voice that says, you're not following, you're not persecuting the church, you're not per persecuting the people of the way, you're not persecuting another religion, you are persecuting me. Let me tell you something. When it comes to God always wins, uh, there's certain things that God... He, he takes personal, he's bothered personally by some things. Like messing around with his children. Like messing around with, with his saints. Not everybody can be the, 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 the declaration of saints. But when someone comes against the church and the body of Christ to try and undo, the church always rises to the surface. I did a study when I was in school, real, real fascinating to me. Why is it that the city of New York is filled with all of these little tiny store from churches? And then you and I probably, you probably have had this thought too. Why don't they just all come together? Make one big church on one block, right? They could save on rent. They could save on electricity. You know what happens? That every church, big or small, is God's baby. And in fact, if you do a mathematical business assessment of these small little storefront churches, they should have been bankrupt a long time ago. But God's math is not your math. God. And you say, yeah, but they preach crazy. As long as they preach Jesus, him crucified, him resurrected, him, the coming king once again, God is going to defend that place. Amen? And so we find here that all of a sudden he's knocked down by the light. He's knocked down to the floor. He's got to eat dirt, a place he's not used to being because he was always pontificating. And now he's down. God has a way of humbling the, the mighty. He has a way of bringing down those that think they're powerful. He has a way of doing that in such a way that no one can even defend them. And then when he falls to the ground, the explicit declaration, you are persecuting me. Listen, don't mess with God. 
God always wins. Uh, let me just tell you right now, let me give you a piece of the conclusion of my sermon today. You've been running from God. You've been running from God. You've been running from God. You know the instructions he gave to you when you were younger. And you thought he forget. God does not forget. God always win. You might be on your journey to, exp- to going on in your, in your career, moving forward in the plans that you have, getting that white picket fence house, and on and on and on. Just be ready that on your route going that way, God is going to confront you because God doesn't forget. And God knows where our m- movements uh, uh, would lead us to. He was leading to destroy the people, but God came in and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Sometimes the course we are on is leading us toward total destruction. God comes in. Sometimes we have to realize that God has to sometimes save us from ourselves. That is true. Sometimes our biggest enemy is the one that you looked in the mirror this morning and you saw that person. That's the person that stifles your future. That's the person that hinders your growth. That's the person that stops you from maturity. It is maturing. It isn't the church. It isn't the church injuries. It's that people don't like me. Oh, me, oh, my. Sometimes it's us. And God has to interrupt our journey in order to save us from ourselves. Hallelujah. See, because what God does here, he interrupts. And I'm just giving you a a warning shot over the bow of your life. And that is that God has a plan over you. And you've gone here and there and everywhere. And you say, no, not there. Yes, there. No, not now. Yes, now. No, not him. Yes, him. No, not me. Yes, you. God is in the habit of interrupting us when we're going down our journeys of destruction. When we're doing it our way. When we're doing it the way we want to do it. God will interrupt as he did with Saul. But then there's the issue of identification, which I always think is fascinating. I just told you a few moments ago that Saul was persecuting the church, persecuting Christians. He was after those that believed in the way. And he obviously, because he was a studied man, we can conclude without without trampling on the intent of the author of the scripture, we can conclude that he had an enemy, he had a target, which was the church, which was Christians, which was people of the way. He must have exhaustively studied that group. Why did he ask the question in verse 5, who are you? He knew. He knew that it was the Lord. When the Lord tells him, why are you persecuting me? And he even says, who are you, Lord? You know what happened? You know about muscle memory, right? He was so used to lying, the lying became the norm. He was so used to exaggerating, that exaggeration became the norm. In fact, let's not point the finger at him too much. We know people around us. We know people close to us. And some people far and people in high and powerful places that they're so used to exaggerating. Truth isn't part of their vernacular that for them it becomes normal. And what happens? The muscle memory in the emotion reacts. And they don't even realize to the point of conviction that they're saying something that is not true. And it is not true. He knew who the Lord was. He knew where the light was coming from. He knew what he was going after. But yet when he says, why are you persecuting persecuting me? He says, who are you? We can't do that. You know the Lord. You don't need another discipleship class. Take it though. You don't need another memory verse. You have quite a few already. You know. You say, but I'm trying to find the will of God. What? What? 
I'm trying to find out what God wants for me. What? Listen, God always wins. God always, your arm's too short to box with God. God always wins. God always wins. So get off this thing of identification. But, but where do I go? You've got to go to the feet of Jesus. But what church? You've got to go to the feet of Jesus. Yeah, but what denomination? You've got to go to the feet of Jesus. But what theology am I going to believe? You've got to go to the feet of Jesus. Knock them off the horse, down to the ground. And then it says, why are you persecuting me? He says to him, who are you? This thing about muscle memory is interesting. There's this thing in, in, uh, uh, when people have, uh, and you, you've seen this, they call it phantom pain. If you have a limb and you lose a limb, all of a sudden you can, they, and they've learned this through the soldiers coming back from the war when they would do their surgeries and remove limbs and all that, that although they didn't have an arm any longer, they could still feel the itching in that arm because their brain was programmed that there's a limb there and there's no physical limb there. It's like you, you probably had a tooth pull and it still hurts. Don't look at anybody, look right at me, look right at me. It's called muscle memory. What happens is your brain is programmed already to think you have an arm there. And this is proven, you Google it later on, muscle memory. But what happens, be aware that it also gets etched into our emotion. That we automatically don't like the person because of the color of their skin. You haven't even met them. They're not educated like me. You automatically assume, make a conclusion of the level of their intellect. They never wrote a book. What are they? Be careful. That's muscle memory taking you down the path like Saul. Who are you, Lord, when you know who it is? I'm going to call you up to the altar. Well, not call you up, but we're going to go to a prayer at the end because you need to be redeemed of that. We have these programmed things in our minds about people's last names and where, what part of the town are you from. And even when they tell you, you, you find someone that's born where you're born in the same country, and all of a sudden you have to get deeper. Well, what village? <laughs> what house? What's the last name of your clan? Because we have this, and we'll make judgments based on that. Unlike with Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, it's the, the content of character. We have to be aware that we do that. You go to that church? Don't they believe that over there? Listen, when we get up to heaven, your PCC membership card has no place up there. You may know the address and everything on our website. That's not going to help you. It's if you're covered by the blood of Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, that's going to get you in. We become so focused on our self-serving agenda that we forget God, intentionally forget God because of muscle memory. Saul knew very well that who he was persecuting, but he just wanted to get over at that moment. See, he had been pressured like this before, so he wanted to get over. Listen, good Christians, solid Christians, don't try and get over. You got over when you were outside. When you come over to the Lord, you don't have to be trying to get over. Yeah, well, I know. I know, how, I know what we used to do in the street. Maybe you should start forgetting what you used to do in the street. Hallelujah. Get that straight. The, street, the street here is called straight. He knew very well who he was persecuting, and he was just trying to get over. Even when God whacks us, we sometimes pretend we don't recognize him. Like today, I know, listen, I wrestled with this sermon for the last few days. And yesterday, I almost switched it because the Lord dumped on me something else. And I'm going to preach on Wednesday, so make sure you listen to uh, something else. But then the, this morning, he told me again, this, I had two sermons prepared 
ready to go for today. The Lord says, no, it's this one because the Lord is confronting you today. I know it. I know it in my deepest being. I know it. Got to stop this thing of not recognizing. Well, the church today isn't what it used to be. You're not what you used to be either. So the world can't change. You're changing quite rapidly. And you know, wait till COVID is over that we take our masks off. And you say, wow, I haven't seen you in a year. Look at you. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have to be careful of using these maneuvers to just get by. He could identify the Lord, yet he decided not to. God whacked him, and he still make believe he wasn't recognizing the Lord. The Lord is making you uncomfortable. You know, some people here, not sleeping at night, those dreams that you're having, the Lord's speaking to you through, or you listen to this program, you turn the channel, all of a sudden, God is almost yelling at you, screaming at you to get you back in line. That is not coincidental. But we, because of muscle memory, so say, no, it can't be. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Yes, he does. Time to recognize him. Be aware that the hurting, that, that hurting the church is always going to result in God taking a swipe at us. We've got to be careful with that. So we talk about interruption. God always wins. We talk about identification. God always wins. But then we talk about something that Paul was very, or Saul was very uncomfortable with, and that's instruction. See, Paul, Saul was used to giving orders. And now verse 6 tells the following. He tells them, now get up. Go to the city and wait there, and I'll tell you what you need to do. This guy wasn't used to that. This guy was used to sending staff, telling people what to do, going to see this, the high priest and tell him, you need to give me a letter so that I can persecute these people of the way because they're crazy. No questions asked. They would sign whatever they needed to sign. He was used to that. But God needed to get him not, off, not just off the physical horse, but the horse that he had programmed inside of his life. And so God tells him, get up. Not I'm going to help you. There's things that God does, and there's things that you just need to do. And sometimes we need to stop the childishness and get ourselves back up. You have the strength to get back up. You have the ability to get back up. Wait, no, but they don't call me. They're not going to call you. But they don't reach out to me. They're not going to reach out to me. They don't text me. They're not going to. Do you text? Do you call? Do you reach out? And we're waiting for somebody to come and sweep me up and carry me. No, no, you're, you're big. You're an adult. You're a grown person not to be carried any longer. Imagine if I get down from here and pick up the biggest person and start carrying them around. That's going to look ridiculous. You can do it on your own. He says, now get up and go to the city. I just briefly mentioned this part because this is part of my, the, my theological training. I believe that big things happen in the city. I believe that when God's going to initiate revival, breakthrough, uh, the, the sprouting of something new, it happens in the city. Nothing, about, nothing against suburbs and rural. But in my Bible, when I read it, it says there's going to be a city in the sky. Amen. Not a suburb. Sends them to the city. Probably the place where he didn't want to go. You know why? Because it was in the city, in the city, that he was able to meet with those high, finutin, uh, powerful people and get them to sign off on things. Now they're seeing a different Saul coming back. And sometimes, church, when the Lord is trying to transform us, we have to go back and face the music of the damage we've done before. Now all things are under the blood, not those things. You're covered by the blood. And sometimes we have to go back and the people we hurt Tell them I'm sorry. And if they don't appreciate it, but from your heart, go back and fix the mess that you left in the past. 
All things are under the blood, not those things. You're responsible for that. You need to go back and take care of those kids and that family and, and the, the things that you did. We had years, 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 years ago, because I've been here so long, I have some stories of people that are not even here anymore, not even around. And, and a brother was arrested for some horrible things that he did in the place that he was working. And then he came to the Lord afterwards. And he felt, no one told him, felt heavy conviction in his heart. After now he finishes all discipleship and everything, and now he's here. I remember he came into my office and said, I feel I need to go back and pay back all that I did financially. And in my mind, I'm saying, pay back, but you know, no, no, I need to do that. You know what he did? He actually did that. Went back, confronted, confessed, and paid back everything that he had done. I think oftentimes we get away with stuff that we should be handling as mature believers. Think about the witness that that gives to people. Think about that for a moment. He was told to get up, go into the city, and then do something that he wasn't used to doing. Wait. Sometimes God has you on hold. And you say, how long? Long time. How long until you learn whatever lesson he's trying to teach you? How long until you need to unpack some stuff inside of you? I don't like being on. Right now, we're all getting to early vote, and the question that comes up, how long are the lines? Who volunteers to wait? Oh, that line, that's only three hours. I'll wait on the five-hour line. If you're like me, and you go and you're, you're checking out, I, I change lines all the time. Because that one is shorter, and then I end up waiting another 45 minutes extra. And this one is quicker over there. Oh, and they only have a few items in their basket. I think I, am, I the, am I the only one confessing? Huh? No one likes to wait. You don't like to wait outside to come into the building, and we try to make that as short as possible as we stay in line with the CDC requirement. Nobody likes to wait. Saul didn't like to wait. God told him, go into the city. Get up, go into the city, and wait. Sometimes our maturation and our growth is going to require to take us to places we don't want to go, to deal with stuff inside of us that we don't want to deal with to carry burdens and crosses that we don't, we, we're so entitled, we say, I don't deserve to carry this. Why do I need to carry this? And yet, I am telling you today, God always wins, and he's waiting for us to learn the lesson of the place that we're in, and he's giving us instructions. There are times when God doesn't suggest, he commands. There are times when God tells us to get up and move forward into a place we don't want to uh, go, uh, to do things that we don't want to do, but that's what God says for us to do because he always wins. So there's interruption, there's identification, there's instruction. But verse tell, 7 tells me that there's also intrigue. It says that he wasn't traveling alone when he was going to Damascus to beat up Christians and, and put them in prison. He was with a group. But what happens? It says in verse 7, if you look at it with me, I'll read it and then I'll explain to it and apply it for us. It says in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. There are things that God shows to you and only you. There are an amen in the house. There are an amen in the house. There are things that God, there, there, there are heads of households right here that God has shown you the direction of your family. 
It is so broad and so decorated, the future for the household. And you know that it is something not coming out of you, that it is God whispering into your life. But you don't even have the right words to articulate what you're seeing. And other people are not going to understand it. But you see it. I'm telling you, you need to move forward on those things. Sometimes you don't even, you're in a place where family members and loved ones, church people, may not even see what you see. One of the frustrations that, that visits me so often is when the Lord starts to speak into my life and I'm seeing things going on, even for this service, because there's things that I, I know that I know that I know are for this moment and for this audience. And then we find that the language limits you to be able to share or the moment is not adequate and or people on the other end don't, don't, don't see. They did not see. How could they not see? If it was a light that knocked him off his horse, how could they not see it? Because there are things that God reveals just to you and you have to get to a place where you trust him enough to move out on his instructions over your life. We wait for consensus. Or we wait for not majority, but that we got 100% voting in our favor for whatever we're going to do. There are some things that you can't even do that democratic process. It's that the Lord told you, commanded, you need to move forward. But yet there was a group there. And later on, at some other point, we'll preach about what happens with a group like that. Did Saul have to abandon them, lead them, cut them out of his life? At that moment, they served no purpose because they were not in that dialogue with God and Saul. Others can't see what you see. It's like the, the ripple in that pond. You know, the, sometimes you see the ripple, but you never saw the stone that fell in there to cause the ripple. And in your life and in my life, we're enjoying the ripple effect of things spreading out all over us, and we didn't even see who planted the seeds for what we're enjoying here today. In fact, as a church organization, so many of you here that have been with us over the last few years, you don't even know the struggle that people had in planting seeds for this building, for this ministry. The moments when the earth shook, literally, and we shouldn't be here, but here we are enjoying the benefits of that ripple effect of someone seeing. Amazing. I'm still enjoying, my mom's been gone now for a while, and other loved ones, but my mom in particular, I'm still enjoying the ripple effects of her prayers before God. And I'm enjoying the benefits of that. Are you, are you getting me? Intrigue. There are biblical-based insights that are only for you. There are things also, I want to talk for a moment, for those that like studying Scripture, there are things in Scripture that, that, that we have to realize that you know, it's for your own edification. It might confuse people when you share it. Because this book is so intriguing. And we have to realize that some people will not see what we need to do or hear. What we need to do is focus in on the Lord. Get a consensus of ideas surrounding you. Get people to speak into your life. Because it's very dangerous if you stay only on one line of thinking and one line of believing and one, life and one line of doing. Sometimes we can become so insular that we end up frustrating and actually truncating our future because we're believing only one line of thinking, one line will only allow so-and-so to speak to me. Got to be careful with that because God has a multiplicity of voices and of fashions to be able to speak into our lives. And others may not hear the way you hear. And so Paul had to get to this place through interruption, identification, instruction, and, and intrigue that God always wins. But give me a few minutes with Ananias for a moment. Because Ananias also heard God. But the difference is that Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church. He was hating on the church, on believers. Ananias was praying. Saul of Tarsus was getting letters 
to try and arrest people and beat them up. Ananias was praying. God had to tell uh, 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 Saul, go into the city. Ananias was in the city praying already. In fact, for those that analyze it a little bit more carefully, uh, Ananias was probably that great wise man that was put in a corner and forgotten. No one even, in fact, all of a sudden he sprouts up in here, right? And God spoke to him as well. The, the, the human factor is that I hope that Ananias didn't think that it was over for him. You know why? Because if Ananias hadn't acted upon what I'm going to unpack for you in a few, in a few moments and in a few minutes, we all would have had trouble now reaching even the Lord because of Ananias' obedience, the transformation of Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul occurred. But for Ananias, he must have had tremendous struggles in his life. Cast aside, nobody talking to him, praying and praying and praying. That's what he was doing, praying, seeking God. And yet, in the middle of all of that, it says that he was intimidated. That's the last point. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. Interesting, right? Because Paul also, Saul also said, yes, Lord. He answered, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, meaning himself, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, here's the intimidation, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. In other words, don't send me, please don't send me, send Pastor Ralph. <laughs> send Reverend Isaac, don't send me. That's what he was saying. I think it's fascinating. He's praying, you think he's in a holy place, right? He's seeking God, so he's in the right posture. And in the middle of that, the Lord is, and he was there waiting for God's instructions. Now all of a sudden he's got the instructions, and when they come, all of a sudden he's intimidated, not by God, not about the weight of the task that's being placed on him, but about the reputation of a man. Who are you going to listen to? You have to make a choice today. Who are you going to listen to? Is it the context, the people speaking into your life, defining what your walk with God needs to be? Or are we going to let the Lord speak into our lives and obey him? Who are we going to trust? Ananias there for a moment, and we're there, we're there, we're there. Ananias for a moment was teetering on, who do I follow? There was a choice. He was at the intersection of a choice that needed to be made. We are in those places as well. Do I follow God and this ridiculous plan to go meet this guy who definitely wants to kill me? Or do I run away and do what I do in it my way? We have to be careful, church. Because oftentimes we, we go down the easy path. And I'm here to tell it's like Paul, I, I've been stuck on this one for a while. When he tells Timothy, he tells, later on, this Paul, sort of Tarsus becomes Paul. He writes to Timothy, and he tells, Timothy, come with me down this journey of suffering. Hallelujah. And Ananias now needed to confront the monsters that he created within himself and needed to decide whether I obey God or I obey my fears. That's intimidating. Because he also tells him what he needs to do. You know, I believe that Ananias appears on the scene here in the book of Acts for this one event. Some people think that when God calls them on a mission, it's a lifelong mission. There are lifelong missions. I've been pastoring here for, I'm in my fifth decade of pastoring here. That's a long, long haul. Praise the Lord. 
But I believe that there are individuals that are called for a specific moment, for a specific time, with a specific message. It has a beginning and an end, which is like a flash. That was Ananias. His time of prayer was in preparation for these few moments when he needed to go visit him on Straight Street, and then he had a specific task. I want you to watch this, and don't get offended by what I'm going to say. Now I got your attention. God did not tell Ananias, go give him the Romans road to salvation. God did not say, go pray and rebuke the demons that are on him. God did not say, go and, and, and start uh, telling him about the way. God told him, go put your hands on him, pray for him so that he can see again. And the seeing there, remember the Saul, Saul was blinded in the moment, but the seeing was not about the eyes, the visual. It was about being able to contemplate and to, and to, and to sense and to know. That's what it was. Uh, Open the eyes of my heart is a song that we sing. I mean, your, does your heart have eyes? No. No. The heart doesn't have eyes. What it's doing there is illustrating for us that there's a way of our heart, our inner being, our inner soul, and our, uh, our inner spirit to be able to perceive and experience. And so here, it's the same thing. He needed to go and pray. He would have messed it up if he would have started rebuking demons over, over Saul of Tarsus because that is not what God told him to do. God told him, look at it. Don't, get, don't look at me that way now. Look at it. It says that God told him, go lay hands on him, pray for him so that he can see again. Now, I can imagine, and you know, we're all human here. Ananias walking, I can't believe I got to do this thing. Man, this guy's crazy. This guy's going to kill me. He probably has a dagger. I mean, he can't see God knocked him off the horse, but he's going to kill me. And I got to lay my hands. I've been praying all the time. I'm not as strong as he is because I've been praying all the time. I haven't done Pilates because I've been, the Peloton is gone because I've been praying all the time. Don't we do that? Pray for somebody and we go all the excuses. Oh, I missed prayer the last time. I'm not ready. Ananias was praying. And he was acting on what God told him, but it was intimidating. The walk with God is intimidating. The day of tomorrow is intimidating. But I've come to a place in my journey, and I invite you to at least think about the way I do it. I've decided to trust God. Our world is turning upside down. Upside down. In fact, not turning. It is upside down. And tomorrow is kind of scary. I can't wait till we stop using these masks. But they're not even telling us when we have to take them off. Right? That's how it is. But I don't trust anything but God. God has a time. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to protect us. He's going to be by our side. Get intimidated over the right things, not the wrong things. Don't be bullied by the negative roar of people. He was bullied by this negative roar. God has not given us a spirit of fear, says 2 Timothy 1.7. God is greater than any man, any demon, any problem, natural, or imagine uh, anything unnatural. God is greater than that. God has not acquiesced his throne for anyone or anything, even though we're living in these difficult times. Let me close out. Interruption, identification, instruction, intrigue, intimidation. What does this mean for us today? The title is God Always Wins. He Always Wins in Your Life. You can't win your struggle with God. You cannot. You cannot. You can't outwit God. God can see around corners. He knows what we're thinking before we even say it. The great thing is that he doesn't hold us accountable for the thinking that we do. 
when we're under the blood of Jesus. Even though your life now is not pleasing to him because of mistakes you've made and things you have done, God has his eye on you. Not on us. On you. You may, have said, you may be saying to yourself, the time for me has passed. Today's the day. You can start over today. Let God win in your life. Idle time is never wasted. Ananias was seeking the Lord. In fact, if you think about it, with all of this closing away that we have to shut in place, we should be having more time of doing our own Bible reflection, our own prayer times. Right? But yet we've become experts in Netflix. Idle time is wasted. We need to get, get, get ourselves re-engaged into our spiritual disciplines and getting stronger in the Lord so that we can hear the Lord speaking into our lives. Technology is great, but technology is not going to get us to heaven. And we need to battle with those insecurities that rise up inside of us, the struggles that we have. God called me here today to interrupt your busyness and to get your attention and point you back to the feet of Jesus. God will work out, work it through your paralyzing fears. There's some legitimate fears, tensions, anxieties, panics that we have. God will help you work through those because God always wins. You need to tell the devil that God always wins. You need to uh, tell, repeat when the negativity comes into your mind. God always wins. He won for Ananias. He won for Saul of Tarsus. He will win for you as well. Let us stand. You're trying to make your, say, your way back to the Lord. Just lift up your hands. I want to pray. You already know. You, the Lord's been quickening in your heart. Those watching us over the internet as well. Father, I come before you in total obedience and complete trust. I know, dear God, that this passage has spoken to so many, myself included. I pray, dear God, that we, not just, we won't be just hearers of the but through the help of the Holy Spirit, we would yield to you. Lord, we've been fighting with you, struggling against you. You're guiding us one way, and we're trying to get away and get the other way, but that stops today. We confess, Lord, that we have been in flight, away from you, rapid and strong movements. We confess to you, Lord, that we've allowed muscle memory to guide the way we behave and to rationalize that behavior. I pray, dear God, today that the power of the Holy Spirit would rest in our hearts so that today we can make changes, concrete changes, to let you, Lord, guide us, move in us, and help us. Without you, we can't make it. We're living in tumultuous times, but even in this period of time, you win as well. So we yield ourselves to you. Let your hands be raised right now, Father. I lift up my right hand and I bless the people that are listening to me and those that have, Lord, feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Let this be not just another Sunday, but a new beginning for those, Lord, in the hearing of my voice. I declare provision. I declare and, and, and decree abundance. I declare and decree obedience, Lord, and healing. And I pray, Lord, that doors will be opened and those that should be shut that would remain shut. I pray, Lord, for a clear assignment over your people. In Jesus' name I pray.
amen and amen and amen. God bless you.